look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, a trip to Green Bay, to Packers training camp, across the street from hallowed Lambeau Field. I'm reporting from there this evening, watching the Green Bay Packers at their training camp practice. We'll have two good guests this week. Green Bay running back Ty Montgomery, the converted wide receiver, and Los Angeles Chargers rookie head coach Anthony Lynn. Before we get to our guests, let me talk to you a little bit about going to training camp in Green Bay. I've been coming here, I believe, since about 1987 or 88. I forget my first year here. But it's a glorious place to watch training camp. As I look around right now, uh, it's, it's getting to be dusk uh, here in Green Bay, here in northeastern Wisconsin. The stands across the field from me are jam-packed and have been that way since about 5.30. This practice started at 6.30. We're about an hour into it right now. It was a cool day in Green Bay. It was in the 50s. Now it's about 60 degrees. It's an absolutely great night for training camp. You look around and you see one side of the field, uh, probably 100 media members uh, and VIP guests at camp. And on the other side, bleachers, uh, five or six rows of bleachers for 100 yards filled uh, with fans. This is a big, big deal in Green Bay. And it's so much fun to come here because it's so much fun to come to a place that it means so much. You know, coming to Packers training camp, sometimes you, you forget. You walk through the parking lot at Lambeau Field where most people park for training camp. And I counted license plates from 11 different states walking through there today, including one from the state of Montana. It was very interesting. And I was, as I was walking out of Lambeau Field after doing some interviews earlier today, sort of mid-afternoon, there was a wedding going on in Lambeau Field. And uh, the wedding, uh, the participants got into a bus, and uh, I just... <laughs> You know, it's a big deal up here coming to Lambeau Field. So let's talk a little bit about these Packers, and then we'll get into our interviews, our conversations with Ty Montgomery and Anthony Lynn of the Chargers. You know, every year I find it really interesting that you come to Green Bay and they're contenders, and you really get a sense right now that the, to the fans here, it doesn't matter. They expect, it's almost like New England, they expect the Green Bay Packers to win 11 or 12 games. It's just not a very, very big deal to them to win games in the regular season. All that matters is the playoffs. And so you know, that kind of frustrates me sometimes. It's like, you know, the old L.A. Lakers when Pat Riley said, uh, you know, people look at me and they say, hey, all you got to do is roll the ball out and you're going to win 65 games. And, you know... <laughs> I think it's frustrating. I sat with Mike McCarthy here tonight, the coach of the Packers, before practice, and he said, you know, we really, really try to erase that from the player's psyche. You know, we just want them to think of one thing, which is, you know, the next day, the next practice, the next game. Uh, and I understand that, but and I do understand that people have very, very high expectations here. But one of the things that bothers me about the expectations of fans is there's 32 really uh, competitive teams and probably 10 every year that think that they have a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl. But no question, as usual this year, great, great, great expectations for this team. 
I'll take you into a little conversation I had earlier today with Aaron Rodgers, uh, obviously the great quarterback of the Packers, talking to him about what he's trying to do to be better this year. And, you know, I found that a lot of times when I ask players that question in training camp, they talk about something they've done in the offseason to get better. You know, some uh, new training method or they watch themselves on tape and they found this flaw or something like that. And Aaron Rodgers basically talked about eating and physical conditioning and yoga. And uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting to hear a player talk about that. I think it's, it's really kind of almost Tom Brady related because everybody sees that Brady now turned 40 the other day and sees what great shape he is in. And they basically say, wow, <laughs> you know, I'd love to be that guy. And I think Rodgers and a lot of players getting up into their 30s, uh, you know, and obviously Rodgers now, uh, he came into the league in uh, 2005. Uh, this is 2017. And I think, you know, a guy like Aaron Rodgers does see his career mortality uh, and he wants to make sure he can play as, as long as he can. And he definitely wants to be like Brady. He wants to play until he's at least 40. So more than ever since I've covered this game, age is a number. Uh, and I think really that uh, Rodgers uh, exemplifies that, as do so many quarterbacks who want to play until they're 40 or later. So we're going to get into our conversations right now. I'll be back a little bit later in between Ty Montgomery and Anthony Lynn uh, to give you some insights uh, on some stuff around the NFL uh, for my training camp tour. But right now we're going to go to our interview, our conversation with Ty Montgomery earlier today in Green Bay. And I asked Montgomery whether he would want to be a running back or a wide receiver right now if he had the choice. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Privileged to be joined now by Ty Montgomery, the former wide receiver of the Green Bay Packers, but now still number 88, yeah. the running back for the Green Bay Packers. Thanks for joining me, Ty. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I, I want to uh, explain uh, a little bit about why, how you first got on my radar screen. I just for fun went to the Stanford Army football game in West Point, I think in 2014. But, uh, and so I just went there to watch the game and I had never been to a game at Army. And so I asked one of the people up there, hey, who are the prospects on Stanford? Who's, who's going to the NFL just so I could watch it? So he said, watch this wide receiver, Ty Montgomery, he's number seven. You watch him play. And so I watched you and you were, you were playing against this guy, this cornerback for Army, who was like, you know, feisty and tough mm -hmm. and wasn't the most athletic guy, but it just was a battle the whole day. And at the end of the game, you guys had sort of this long embrace. And I said, boy, I wonder what that was about. And so I went and asked the kid from Army what happened. And he goes, hey, I, j I just wanted to tell him it was an honor playing against him. That guy's going to the NFL. It's cool. And then he said, and I just want, if you remember the story, I want you to pick it up, what you said to him after that game. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I do remember that encounter. And I remember it was something about his spirit. I mean, after playing him um, the whole game, um, and just hearing about him because my teammate Austin Hooper went to high school with him and uh, that's how I knew he went to De La Salle and I, I mean I just I respected him as an athlete I respected his game and I respected the fact that he chose to come to Army he had an, other offers to play at other schools but he chose to come to Army and you know I feel like a lot of us have an understanding of what that commitment means when you play football at Army you know you're your dreams of being able to play in the NFL, you know, there aren't they aren't as likely as if you go to another school just because of the commitment you have. Yeah, to you country. got the four-year commitment after that. But yeah. what he told me is that you said to him that day, uh, "Hey, listen, I really appreciate what you're about to do. Thanks for serving the country." Yeah. And he said that was really one of the coolest things. He he said because normally what happens after games, you maybe have a quick embrace and say, "Hey, good luck, stay healthy, whatever." But he said you thought to say, "Thanks a lot for what you're going to do for our country." 
Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, it was something about his spirit, and I respected him as an athlete, and I respect the fact that he still chose to come to Army. Football, football wasn't. It, it wasn't it wasn't his god i don't i don't really know how to put it yeah. you know he he saw something else in life something greater and it felt like he it, there was just a purpose there you know i'm not sure i would have been able to make a commitment to go play for army cuz i want to be in the nfl but right. you know he he's i just thought that and felt like he saw so much more to life yeah and to be out there competing on the football field with that commitment that he has to our country i just thought was very very admirable uh, with Ty Montgomery, the Green Bay Packers. Ty, uh, you're about to embark on your first full season as an NFL running back. And the thing I wanted to ask you about was, even though you had played running back some growing up, and I guess in high school mm-hmm. too, right, in Dallas, yeah, you played uh, some running back. But you came to the NFL as an absolute no-doubt wide receiver. Yeah. That's going to be your career, 9, 10, 11 years. <laughs> so... I want to ask you, what was, what was the first hint that you had that Mike McCarthy was going to ask you to become a running back? Uh, I guess it was be, before he came and asked me, um, I guess it was after maybe while we were game planning against Jacksonville for the first game, and I noticed the amount of times that I could potentially be in the backfield for certain plays. And I just started thinking to myself, you know, what what would that be like if I was just full time in the backfield? And I've always loved being back there. You know, I think it's just it's it's a versatile position. You know, if you can if you can be running back, then you can still be able to split out wide and catch the football. But it doesn't always work the other way around. So I was like, you know, I was I was excited about it. So, and then when did you find out that this was now going to be your job? Uh, I don't remember what week it was, but he came to me. Mike um, did. Yeah, Coach yeah. McCarthy. It might have been Minnesota week, I think. But he he came to me and asked me what I thought about it and if I'd be willing to try it. And I, I said, of course, but I want to let you know this isn't something I really want to just try and see what happens. You know, if I'm going to do it, I just want to throw myself, you know, all the way into the fire, learn everything I need to learn, start going to meetings today. You know, so that way it's not some long, drawn-out trial process. Either we're going to find out if it's going to work or we're not. So I just went head first. Did you immediately start going to running back meetings and you're in the running back room? I did. With all these, even though they're your teammates, <laughs> they're, uh, they're and they're not strangers, it's just a different world. Yeah, yeah, I did. I went and grabbed my stuff in the receiver room and everybody's like, whoa, whoa, you know, what's going on? And, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess they were like, well, we lost another one. You know, everybody can't be a wide out because previously um, Herb Waters, um, he had just switched from receiver to cornerback. And so, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of a funny joke. And then I go into the running back room and everybody's eyes are like, well, you know, we, we must be putting in a couple of plays or something. And then they're like, no, he's he's in here now. <laughs> and then that's when, you know, Eddie and the other guys started calling me the, uh, the running receiver. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who don't know, I want to get down a little bit to the nitty gritty of the absolute difference standing behind Aaron Rodgers, sort of surveying the whole field Mm -hmm. versus being flanked out and looking around and just looking at the guy across from you, I take it, and maybe looking at the safety, maybe seeing if a linebacker might come over and try to disrupt your route, whatever. But just if you can, tell me about the biggest differences just in a football sense between playing the two spots? There's so much more going on. Everything moves. You mean as a running back? As a running back. When you're when you're back there in the backfield, there's so much more going on, so much more you have to think about, and everything happens so much faster. I mean, those, those D linemen are moving, linebackers are flying and scraping, and, you know, now you're watching safeties, and, you know, the mind games with the safeties are really they're really a factor now. Um, whereas when you're on the outside, you're trying to find a shell. you got to beat the guy in front of you. But you don't have to worry about getting past the first wave of the D linemen. 
and then trying to make someone miss in a hole. And then once you get in the open field, you got to be able to make another move to try to get an explosive game. Um, and then, you know, pass protection. Now you're worrying. I have to think that that is a gigantic part of this, just because it seems to me you're a wide receiver. You're trying to avoid (laughs) everything, and here as a running back, you you're trying. You're you're seeking them out. You're seeking out uh, because you you have to. You got to be the last line of defense for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the biggest difference. as a receiver, you're never asked to even think about it. You know, we could care less about what blitz is coming as long as it's not off our nose and we have, you know, a hot route or a conversion or something. We could care less about that. Uh, but now I got to be 100% in tune with every blitz and understand where it's coming from and put myself in position to make sure that I can pick it up. Um, but I think being back in the backfield has – Developed me as a football player, especially my you football IQ. You mean your IQ. knowledge? Yeah, yeah my f- knowledge. Yeah, right. my football IQ because now I'm in tune with the fronts and with the linebackers and the shifts and the the gaps in the defense, and it helps me figure out coverage more when I'm when I'm looking at the linebackers and you know which side they may be shaded to or you know if I see a, a, a nine technique slant down hard inside, I know there's probably a blitz coming off his outside because somebody's got to keep contained and. It's, I mean, it's just it, it just opened me up to a whole lot more of the, of the game. Now I notice, and again, I, I, you're going to have to tell me if this is different. I'm looking at you right now. You're wearing sort of a form-fitting uh, green Packers shirt. You're really jacked. You're really, <laughs> you know, your upper body. You could pass for a very light guard (laughs) you're 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 very big in the upper body but but so have you worked on your strength in the off season because you want to be a better blocker am i guessing that and that's wrong or tell me about your what you did this off season just in terms of strength for blocking it's got nothing to do with with blocking i mean part of it it's, it's got everything to do with being a better running back being a better Ty Montgomery, um, that's what that's what it's about. Uh, you know, this team needs me to be my best self, and that's a runner, a blocker, a route runner, and a and a receiver, and that's what I need. And so this off season, it was less about staying light and fast enough to be able to move on the outside and you know beat these four three cornerbacks, and be, and it became more about how can I be my best overall self, you know. You know, I I can't just worry about am I going to be fast enough to beat these cornerbacks. Now I got to be strong enough, have good core, good balance to break tackles, to fit in tight seams, to be able to stand in there and pick up blocks. I mean, it was it was about the whole package. So really, this off season, I was just trying to let myself be myself. I I didn't hold myself back. What was it like when you're in the huddle early on as a running back? Were there times where Aaron Rodgers might say something to you as you're leaving the huddle? Hey, make sure you watch for X, Y, and Z. What was that part of it like, the whole, you know, on-the-job, on-field education part from Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, in the in the beginning, there was. And I didn't like to rely on him for that information all the time because he's got so so much other stuff he's got to worry about. Um, I didn't like to rely on him, but every now and then, um, you know, if if what I was doing was a key factor to what he needed to get done, then, yeah, he would point me in the right direction and say, hey, just just remember this, because it was still very early in the process. I'm still trying to learn and digest everything. He knows that I've never heard about protections. I've never heard about these fronts or these calls and how we're picking up blitzes. So, you know, he was he was very helpful in that sense, as far as helping me transition. I would assume that you've got to be really conscientious about that, knowing that there are probably going to be some plays where you're the last line of defense for one of the great quarterbacks of all time, so that you have to be thinking to yourself, I better know what I'm doing on this play, especially in blitz pickup. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of that in – Basically every play. I mean, the number one rule we have as running backs is we will protect the quarterback. That's first and foremost. Um, but, you know, an, another key component in, in protection is knowing where the blitz is going to come from, 
and being tech fundamentally sound and having good technique and being able to pick up the blitz, but it's also having good fakes because, you know, a lot of times if we do our job, we take the right path and we give a good fake and have a great sell, it'll open up something in the passing game. And, and, you know, a great fake and a great sell comes from being able to have a good run game. So the running back position almost just seems circular. You just got to have everything clicking all the time. This is the MMQB podcast. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city, any industry, nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com MMQB. That's ZipRecruiter.com MMQB. One more time now. You can use it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. With Ty Montgomery, the Packers. Ty, um, if you were to try to describe what happens when you get the ball handed to you and you're looking in front of you and you're trying to figure out Where am I going? What am I doing? I once asked Adrian Peterson this question, and he said, the whole thing I always think about is if the other team that we're playing, let's say it's Tampa, they're red. Today, I'm running away from red. (laughs) My first job is anytime I see a red person, I'm going the opposite direction. I'm not running backwards, but I'm going away from that. But describe to me, you get a handoff, you're running toward the line. What exactly are you looking for and what are you trying to do? Uh, The same thing, but I'm going to go a little bit more in depth on like how I, how I do that. You know, sometimes you, if you're, if you're outside or you're you're standing in a room sometimes Let's just say you're, you're outside and you're looking for someone and you don't just focus on one thing at a time. Your whole vision just kind of opens and you wait until you think you see a flash of the color shirt that they're wearing and then you focus in on that shirt. So when I get the football, my eyes just go wide. I'm not focused on one point. I know which direction my read is. I know what the other what the color the, the color of the jersey of the other team is and my eyes just go wide and I get the football and I feel my way until I get to the second level and then I got to hone in on that guy that I got to make miss in the hole. I I I like I can't tell you what number I just ran past from the D line or you know sometimes the linebackers depending on what kind of run it is but I can usually tell you the number of the secondary player once I get up there to him. What about the physical aspect of the game? You might go the whole game maybe getting tackled twice as a receiver. And maybe you're you're blocking or trying to hold a cornerback out from, from, you know, getting into the play. But in general, and and obviously there are going to be some times where you get the crab beat out of you as a receiver. But here you carry the ball 20 times. You could be in a pig pile 20 times. Mm-hmm. So what is the physical aspect of it like? It's a lot more fun. Is it? It's a whole lot more fun. Uh, always in the football game. And you're, every play, you're involved. You're, there's physical contact, whether you're carrying the ball or you're picking up a blitz or you just caught the football. Uh, you're running downfield trying to chase the receiver and help cover and block for him. You're just always in the play. You know, there's, there aren't any more of those games where maybe you get two targets, 
you catch one of them. Maybe you don't get any targets, any action whatsoever until the third or fourth quarter of the game. Every quarter of the game, you're getting action and you're involved in the play and you're doing something to help the team. What did you feel like on Monday morning after a heavy workload as a running back versus how you would feel Monday morning as a wide receiver? Uh, honestly, for me, it didn't feel that much different. I mean, un- unless I just took like a really brutal, awkward hit, you know, where something got banged up or nicked up. Otherwise, it just it just felt like another day at the office. You know, I wake up sore, my body hurts. I mean, I I would like to think that when I was playing receiver, I played a little bit more physical than other guys. I wasn't as fast as some of the other receivers. So I prided myself in blocking and trying to go get safeties. And when I ran the ball, you know, I didn't really like to catch the ball and get out of bounds. That was one of the things I hated about receiver. Did you have a welcome to the NFL moment as a running back? In one of your early games, did you have anybody on the defense who ever said anything to you? Or did you have a moment where you said, whoa, so this is what it's like? Um, I'm trying to think, and there's nothing that really that really stands out to me. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, uh, how, how about this? What's the run last year that you're most proud of? What's the run when you look back on it and say, wow. I really I saw the hole correctly. I read, you know, my keys and I did the right thing and I made some yards. There are a few runs that I'm thinking of, but one of the runs I'm thinking of in particular is a run against Dallas. I believe it was in the in playoffs. The, in the playoffs. I think it was in the first quarter. Um and I had been, you know, as as I'm going through this process, I'm really learning about my reads and how the how these run plays work and finding the flow of the defense and finding where the cutback lanes are when you can and when you can't versus, you know, when we're blocking the defensive end backside and when we're not. And I think it was a it was an outside zone play that I was finally able to see the cutback back behind the center, I think. And uh I forget who it was. I I wanna say it was T J Lang who had a good block. No, it was it was Corey. It was definitely Corey. Mm-hmm. It was Corey and then Rip filled up through the hole. And then I was able to make, you know, a quick, real small, quick jump cut and then one foot in the ground, cut back kind of outside and up the field. And it was like a good, like, 12 to 15-yard gain. And I was so proud of myself because I had been watching film, trying to, you know, find the best way to do it, figure out how to do it. I've been watching Kristen Michael. And he was coaching me up on, you know, a little bit on when I can and, you know, how to see it before the ball is snapped. And I was really proud of myself for that one. Was there anything, I mean, how did you find out at the end of the year that this was going to be your job now? I mean, did 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 Mike or, or anybody tell you that now this is going to be your job? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think that conversation needed to happen. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, after a certain point, I was the only running back left. <laughs> and, you know, I, I kind of I kind of figured, like, hey, you know, this is it. I, you know, I felt like I found my niche on the team. Yeah. And one other thing I was curious about, now that you're, you are running back, if I said to you, okay, for the next 10 years, what do you want to be, a running back or a wide receiver, what would you say? Running back. Why? It's, it's just me. It feels natural. It's fun. I like being back there. Um, from the running back position, I can still motion out and go run a route, go run a 15-yard comeback. Uh, I, I think of a perfect drive I want to have in a game, and I want to be able to have 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 a few good runs, have an explosive run inside and outside, a third and short go get the yards on a third and short, motion out from the backfield, run a route, catch the football, and then stand in there and pick up a few blitzes as Aaron throws a touchdown pass. Or if that doesn't happen, we get to the goal line, and then I get a goal line score. Just to be able to do everything. Running back gives me the ability to do everything, and I absolutely I love that. It's a whole lot of fun. It challenges me, and I love being challenged. So – 
did you decide to keep the number 88? And do you think eventually the NFL is going to say, hey, you better get a running back number. You can't, can't have number 88 in the backfield. I did decide to keep it. and Why did you do that? Uniqueness? Uniqueness. Uh, just, I think it. I think it tells my story a little bit, you know, about where I came from as far as my career in the NFL. And, uh, you know, I think it's just kind of a, a reminder, maybe, maybe, you know, some motivation to a young kid who might see number 88 back there and he might ask a question of why is number 88 back there. And, you know, he'll, he'll learn that, oh, he was playing receiver and then he was asked to do this and he was able to do this for his team or he stepped up to the challenge or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I mean, there's, there's a number of positive reasons that I thought of, you know, that I thought that, you know, hey, it's, it's not such a bad idea to just just go ahead and, and uh, keep the number. I've always loved the college numbers where you look. Remember Devin Gardner, the quarterback from Michigan? He was yeah, number 98. 98. Yeah. And, and I, I love guys who have weird numbers at different <laughs> positions. I think Jalen Smith for, for Notre Dame was like number six or something. Yeah. I forget. Or number was, two, something like yeah, that. Yeah. But – I think that's. I think it's great. I wish. I wish guards were number eleven or something. I mean, it's just. It's just kind of fun. But it's. You've got. I mean, really, you do. You've got the most unique number in the NFL. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I love it. And if if I end up being the most unique player in the NFL, you know, I I'd, I would be happy with that career. Um, I just I want to leave my name somewhere. I want to leave a legacy, and I want to leave something for my family and my kids to be proud of and a good foundation for them to stand on. Last thing I'll ask you. So every year in Green Bay, great expectations. Okay. Uh, Super Bowl or bust. And I wonder, how do you like living with that and being in this building, being in Lambeau Field, being in Green Bay? Do you feel it as a player? Personally, I don't really feel it. Um, you know, I can't speak for everyone. Um, you know, and I don't want to take anything away from what our people upstairs go through, or the head. You know, the head coach is going to feel more pressure than, than I do. Our quarterback is going to feel more pressure than I do. Um, but I definitely know it's there. And from my perspective, as a young player, as a running back, um, you know, I think. In, in a way, it's positive to know that our fan base thinks Super Bowl or bust because I think that shows the type of support and the type of belief they have in us, what we've done in the past, the type of mentality that we have here. I mean, we have that same mentality. You know, obviously, this is we're playing to win a Super Bowl. From week one, we're playing to win a Super Bowl. So it just, I mean, it it kind of it kind of comes with the territory. If if you're going to be a winning team, then people are going to expect you to win. Ty Montgomery, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. I got a great education of what it's like to switch positions <laughs> into a much more violent world that you now play in. And I'm, I, I have to admit, I thought you might say, man, I risk. I, I miss kind of running out there. I don't. Kind of all free. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you like being in the pinball machine. I like being back there, and I, I love breaking tackles making guys miss, breaking big runs, and then being able to go out and split out wide and catch a ball, maybe make a guy miss. You know, then it, it makes me appreciate the wide receiver position a little bit more because I'm able to get my touches and I'm able to get my fix from running the football. So now, you know, I can be a smarter receiver and just run the 15-yard route, toe tap and, you know, get out of bounds versus trying to make the difficult catch and stay in bounds and run. You know, I'm, I'm going to get my carries now. <laughs> Ty Montgomery, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. My thanks to Ty Montgomery. Pretty enlightening, wasn't he, about uh, the uh, switch from wide receiver to running back? And a very enthusiastic running back, by the way. Anyway. Uh, before I get to Anthony Lynn, a couple of thoughts on, um, on some of the things I've seen out here on my training camp tour. You know, I was in Seattle, and uh, I saw the Seahawks. I saw them in their first padded practice. By the way, that noise you hear, I'm on the sidelines of Green Bay Packers training camp. 
across the street from Lambeau Field, right behind the Don Hudson Center in Green Bay. Uh, a beautiful night for training camp, kind of cool. And, uh, I mean, chilly. So, uh, but, but I'll get to a couple of thoughts. In Seattle, you know, I, I, was, I was surprised by how, and I guess I shouldn't be because every time I see the Seahawks practice in training camp and, and I actually was a pool reporter for them uh, twice now before their Super Bowls, and this is one intense team at almost all times. But this was a team that, Man, do they get after each other in practice. Extremely chippy. Two skirmishes broken up. Uh, and uh, you know, I read a day after I left there that Frank Clark, a defensive end, uh, was involved in another skirmish and got kicked out of practice by Pete Carroll. So, uh, you know, look, I'm all for intensity, but, boy, somebody's going to get hurt in one of those Seattle practices, and all of a sudden this whole competition ethos is not going to look so wonderful. Um, on to San Francisco. It's surprising when I say that one of the things that really impressed me out of 49ers camp is Brian Hoyer, of all things. You know, Brian Hoyer, uh, who basically is a stopgap guy until the 49ers get, you pick a guy. Some college quarterback next year, Kirk Cousins, whoever it is, uh, you know, maybe in free agency. But I'll tell you what, Hoyer... Uh, has a better deep arm than I thought he did based on what I saw at 49ers camp next to Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. Uh, so that was interesting to me. Uh, moving on to Mankato, Minnesota, I saw the Vikings uh, last Thursday. And one of the things about the Vikings that probably is not going to register very much on the national scale is that uh, this is a team that uh, uh, right now is leaving Mankato, Minnesota after 52 years of training camp. It's very interesting, the emotion that I found in that town um, about them leaving. Uh, when you're 52 years in one place, they'll be moving to their own facility uh, in suburban Minneapolis and uh, there was a lot of emotion from a lot of people in that town. Went to Jake Stadium Pizza, uh, where I've gone every year that I've gone to that training camp. And there's a lot of people with long faces knowing that the Vikings won't be back after 52 years of really fortifying that town. It's, it's interesting. I think people uh, on the outside don't really get much of a sense. But more and more teams are going away from the training camp mode. There will only be 10 of the 32 teams in 2018 that will go away to training camp. Most of them uh, now, they, uh, basically two-thirds of the teams, now stay at their own facility year-round. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things they miss, obviously, is getting away the camaraderie and all that. But I think that most teams look at it now and say, hey, it's such a huge thing to displace your team for maybe two and a half weeks because that's all uh, the, the, the time away most teams take. Um, and, and to displace your team for two and a half weeks is just too much. Um, but, but, you know, one other football thing uh, in, uh, in Minnesota, they really, really like Dalvin Cook. Uh, and as my, uh, uh, as my partner at the, at the MMQB, Albert Breer, has pointed out, you know, Dalvin Cook, a lot of teams downgraded him because of some off-field issues and some uh, question about, you know, what would happen when, uh, you know, he went to the NFL. Would he bring a lot of people from his past with him? Uh, or would he not? And, you know, he's pretty much just going to be in Minnesota on his own. And I think the Vikings are happy with that. And they believe that, uh, you know, some of the questions that some teams about Dalvin Cook had about Dalvin Cook off the field, I think they feel won't be a problem. Um, <laughs> it was also interesting seeing the Vikings without Adrian Peterson, uh, who's now obviously a New Orleans Saint. And, uh, you know, the defensive guys, you know, really, you know, so many guys on that team, he had universal appeal in that locker room. Offense, defense is very close to Everson Griffin, very close to Daniil Hunter, uh, who worked out with Peterson this offseason. 
Uh, and uh, so they're going to have to get used to it. I mean, it happens every year in the NFL. Big stars in one place go somewhere else. I think that uh, the Dalvin Cook uh, could be a huge, huge factor for a team that, you know, look, if everything goes right with Minnesota, uh, they've got a very accurate quarterback in Sam Bradford, and they've got a, uh, you know, a really good uh, front on that defense that should really bother quarterbacks. I was impressed with that team. You come to Green Bay, and, you know, I think one of the things that impresses me about this team uh, right now is that they are, uh, I think they're going to be very, very explosive offensively. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is convinced he wants to play another seven, eight years. Probably no reason why he can't. He has no real lingering injuries right now. The concern, I think, in Green Bay is very much going to be about uh, the consistency of their defense, whether they can keep their secondary healthy. That has been a big, big issue here. Uh, And whether they can generate enough pass rush from a couple of guys who just always seem to get hurt during the year, Clay Matthews uh, and Nick Perry. Obviously, Julius Peppers has left. Uh, He now is back in Carolina. So I think there is some concern whether they're going to be able to rush the passer enough. And again, I know it's a broken record, but I think that Green Bay is going to have to uh, be among the top three teams in scoring. They probably will be, but they are going to have to win some 34-30 games this year. And it's like a broken record. seems to happen every year here. But anyway, uh, those are a few thoughts on the Packers and on some of the places I've been. I want to get into my conversation now a few days ago at Los Angeles Chargers camp with head coach Anthony Lynn. I've always had respect for Lynn, uh, and as you'll find out in this conversation, he's a little surprised when I thought that there was a good chance that he was just going to end up a position coach uh, for his career. Uh, And I'm very happy to see, because I think he really commands a room, I'm very happy to see that he's going to get his shot with a team that, and you can say this with a lot of teams, if if they don't get hurt very much, I mean, with Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram as your sort of your pass rushers with a good secondary and obviously an explosive offense, that team stays healthy. They're going to be pretty good. Anyway, I'm going to get to my conversation now with Los Angeles Chargers coach Anthony Lynn. Back on the MMQB podcast uh, with Peter King. Uh, Joined today, uh, it's probably the first time I've ever done a podcast interview in a conference room at a Marriott Hotel in Irvine, California. But this is what NFL training camps have have become these days. And I'm here with a head coach, the head coach of the San Diego Chargers, Anthony Lynn. Anthony, thanks a lot for being with me. Thanks for having me, Pete. So, um... Over the years, we've gotten to know each other a little bit. Uh, a couple of times we flew uh, to the scouting combine yeah. together out of New York. And, you know, quite honestly, I never thought you were going to be an NFL head coach. I thought that I used to say, you know, this guy would be a really, really good coordinator. I just I just didn't know that you were ever going to get that chance. So, You, you mind me asking why? Why did you think that? Because... There are so many good assistant coaches, so many good position coaches. And if you stay a position coach for a long time, then that's what you are. You're a position coach, you know. And even though you might, in your mind, say, you know what, I'm better than that guy or I'm better than this guy, but you got to get a chance. That's right. You got to get a chance. And my feeling is, as unfortunate as it probably was, you got your chance with the Buffalo Bills with two things, with Greg Roman leaving and then with Rex Ryan leaving. And the reason is, it's like what Richie Incognito told me about you last year. I said, because I asked him when, uh, when the Bills job was open, and I, I asked him, I said, what do you think of Anthony if Anthony Lynn's chances of getting this job, he said, well, I, I don't have any idea. But he said, 
The guys in that locker room really like him, but more importantly, they respect him. And so if ownership comes to us and says, what do you think? That's what the guys on this team would say, even defensive guys. And so, but I, I think it was good that you got the chance because you showed that not with top 10 talent on that team, that you could be a really competitive, you know, schemer, game planner, and then, you know, in your very brief time, a competitive head coach. What was that like for you last year in the middle of the mayhem, sort of getting your chance? Oh, you're taking me back down memory lane. Yeah. But it was it was pretty wild, you know. Uh, we're going to have to take team photo, and after the team photo, I'm the coordinator. Had no idea before the team photo I was going to be the coordinator. And so kind of had to cram a little bit and get the offense uh, coaches' responsibilities to them and, and start to scheme a little bit. But I couldn't do too much because we just went through a whole offseason, went through a training camp, and I couldn't make – a lot of changes at that point. So I was pretty much stuck with what I had, just had to make some tweaks to it. But And then at the end, you know, that was only for three days. Uh, I became the head coach on Wednesday night, and Saturday we're flying to New York. So uh, nothing really changed in that experience. But uh, it was definitely a, a growing uh, process for me as far as being a head guy in charge, organizing, not just utilizing my talent, but utilizing, utilizing the coaches and their abilities because I, I had those guys do some different things. And uh, I thought we were pretty successful uh, to a point with what we had to deal with, but uh, uh, it was a good experience. What was it like last year, the first time you stood on the field with all eyes on you as one of 32 as an NFL head coach? That was exciting. You know, and it was at the same time it was it was bittersweet because one of my good friends had just gotten fired on Wednesday, and there were a lot of emotions on the staff and the players, and we didn't want to see that happen because we all felt like we let him down. But uh, at the same time, it was nice being one of the thirty-two, even though it was just for three days. What was I've always wondered what happens in an event like that, where you've been with Rex Ryan for a long time. And, you know, whatever happened, good, bad, indifferent, you're still his guy and you're still close to Rex. Yeah. So how difficult was that when he goes out the door, you take the job and, you know, you're going to you're still going to know Rex the rest of your life. How difficult was that with him? It, It wasn't difficult at all. Rex told me he wanted me to take the job. You know, I didn't know if I would under those circumstances. A lot of times you just turn it over to the special teams coordinator. I stay in my role, finish the season, then let's see what happens. But Rex wanted me to take the job. Anthony, I wonder, did you ever think that you would, I mean, before last year, let's say. Yeah. Did you think that you would get a chance to be either a coordinator or a head coach? I was beginning to think I would be a head coach before coordinator. Wow. Because, Why? Because you had good good fortune in some of your interviews. Exactly. Yeah. I, I was in some interviews, and some people liked it, and they kind of spread the word. And uh, I, I thought at that point when I became the assistant head coach that I was going to be a head coach before coordinator. But it just so happened that, you know, it, had, it was unfortunate what happened to Greg Roman, but I became the coordinator in Buffalo first. But I believe I would have became a head coach at the end of the season if I had not have taken the coordinator job. Interesting. You're... I just think it's a different skill set coordinating and leading a team that's two different skill sets and and so many are you more are you more fit to be a head coach than a coordinator no I love calling plays and I miss it right now being with the offense installing you know but uh I love calling plays uh but at the same time I wanted to be a head coach and 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 I gotta tell people all the time I told some owners this you know look at the criteria right now for how we're hiring head coaches you know, everyone think that it has to be tied to a coordinator position. It does not. You know, I think we're missing out on a what's lot your, of – What's your message well, I to I think we're missing out on a lot of good coaches that are not coordinators that could be good head coaches. Look for a guy that can lead men, get the most out of men, relate, communicate, a guy that they can trust, organize. I mean, look for those things in a head coach. But that's totally different than calling plays. Yeah. Um. What did you think – tell me the, the interview process. Before you got this job, I mean, like in the past years, what interviews were interesting to you? What did you learn from those interviews as a candidate? 
You know, uh, after the first interview. Where, what was the first? The first one with the Jets. Okay. And I believe that this was. This is pre-Rex. This is, no, no, this was after Rex got. Fired. Okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. And I did not want to do that interview because I felt I knew what that interview was all about. You had to interview a minority before you hired the guy you wanted. And I wouldn't do it. And Rex called me and said, do it for the experience. Todd Bowles called me and said, do it. Uh, John Wooten, uh, Wooten called me and said, do it. So I finally Chairman did it. Chairman of the it. Fritz Pollard Alliance. Chairman yeah. of the Fritz Pollard Alliance, absolutely. So I finally did it, and knowing that it was a token interview. But the uh, the knowledge and the experience that I got from that interview and the Who reputation. Who was in the room? Charlie Cashley, Ron Wolf, uh, Neil Glatt, and uh, someone else I can't remember. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it was we connected. It was really a good interview. And I learned a lot of what they were looking for cause, because it helped me prepare uh, for the next interviews. But uh, those guys kind of spread the word, and that's how this thing got started. And then I got a couple interviews the very next year, and I thought I was going to get the 49ers job. And they went down to the wire, and I didn't get that one. So I knew I was close. you surprised they picked Chip? Uh well, I mean, I wanted the job. I thought I was, uh, I thought I was a good fit. But you know, I, I love Chip. I think yeah. Chip's a hell of a coach. Yeah. You, obviously, as an African American coach, you deal with the Rooney Rule. What do you think of the Rooney Rule? Well, I've already kind of spoke about this, and and you know, the Rooney Rule has very good intentions, but I I just believe a lot of organizations abuse it, and I don't want to be a part of that. I told two teams interview a minority before you call me and one team did and the other team didn't call back so i knew what they were all about so do you believe that like i'll give you a good example in my opinion the rooney rule legitimately helped mike tomlin yeah. now mike Tom, uh, the, well, the Steelers. you can say it helped me because if i didn't do that first interview i wouldn't have had that experience uh, that's why i, I wouldn't think, i wouldn't have had that connection with charlie cashley ron wolf right i understand why you yeah. have some questions about it but in my opinion I would look at it, if I were you, in a very selfish way. Hey, I'm going to go do this, this interview, and you know what? Ron Wolf and Charlie Kessler are going to be in the room. I'm not going to get this job, but I'm going to show them at my personality and who I am, and at the end of it, they're going to say, hey, this guy could be a good NFL head coach. And I was, and I was selfish the first time. Yeah. But that was the only time. Yeah. I never did it again. You know, you're not going to use me twice. Right. But I, no, I use you, you use me, that's fine. But after that, there was no more Rooney rules for me, Interview, yeah. interviews for me. Yeah. You had to interview a minority before I came. This is the MMQB Podcast. QB Podcast. I don't know about you, but I don't like to shave. Who does? Nicks and scratches on your face, they're just not fun. And let's face it, razors are expensive. That is, I thought they were until I got my first package of razors from Harry's. Now, you know, so I have used Harry's razors for quite a while, ever since I partnered with them on this podcast. And here's the big difference with Harry's versus all other razors. I shave in the shower. And the handle with Harry's razors is it doesn't slip out of your hand. And a lot of times you put the shave cream on your face and you're shaving and all of a sudden you know, the handle of the razor is almost falling out of your hands. You got great grip with Harry's razors. And look, I don't know that that's the reason why you should do it, but for me, that's the reason why I do it because that is a great handle and a great razor. You know, for decades, one big razor company relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Well, that's not Harry's. Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were fed up with getting ripped off, started Harry's to fix shaving. Harry's knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own blade factory. By taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers blades at half the price. Now here's where it gets good for you. Harry's is so confident you'll love their blades, they're giving you their trial set for free. All you have to do is cover the shipping. Now, your free trial set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, the handle that I really like, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip, and a trimmer blade, and also rich lathering shave gel with a travel blade cover. That's a $13 value for you to try. 
So stop messing around and get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your free trial offer. A $13 value for free. You just cover the shipping. So get your free trial set. The razor handle, five-blade cartridge, shave gel. Just go to harrys.com slash king right now. That's harrys.com slash king. So I want to hear your story about the process of getting this job. And how did it start? What happened? And just walk me through the process of you getting this job. Well, I didn't think I was going to get this job because the Chargers didn't reach out initially. Uh, they told me they thought I was going to Buffalo and they didn't want to waste their time uh, trying to get me in and interview me. And I think that and was... And you said, hey, waste my time. <laughs> you know, I, I think a lot of people kind of just assume I was going to stay in Buffalo. But I was looking at the jobs that possibly could come open. And when I looked at the roster here, location, I just felt like this was a really good spot. This was the place I wanted to be. And I was getting a little frustrated. I was like, you know, they're not, everyone's calling, but they're not calling. And I interviewed with them last. And uh, I think they interviewed 12 people. And wow. I, I was the last one. And that was it. What That's, was your intent walking into that interview that to day? To get that job. My intent was to get that job and convince them that I was the right man for the job. How long were you in the room? Hours. Uh, the first one was five hours. Uh, I was supposed to leave and go to the Rams for my second interview. Uh the next day, and the Chargers told me to stay in town, and I stayed in town because I really wanted to be here, and I got the job the next day. We interviewed for a couple more hours following morning. Why do you think, what was it about you that sold them? You know, I don't know because I, I wasn't in the room with the other interviews, but I just knew know that we connected, and uh, I felt like when the interview was over, we were all on the same page. And when I asked the things that you were looking for in the head coach, I felt very comfortable with those things. With Anthony Lynn, the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, it's very hard for me to not say San Diego Chargers. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, <laughs> trust me, I've said it. <laughs> Check out my first press conference. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I remember it. But uh, so this is one of 32, but it's also one with some obstacles. Okay? You're moving. You saw what happened to the Rams last year. The Rams went through a lot of logistical nightmares. Okay. Now, what's better for you guys is that you're only whatever ninety miles away from, yeah. you know, from San Diego. So, you know, I so I wonder now that you look at it, how do you think you guys have handled the logistical aspect of this move? Uh, not necessarily the fan aspect, because there's always going to be some people in San Diego who are going to now hate the Chargers. Right. But but I'm talking about the logistical, the football aspect. I think our organization has handled that very nicely. I mean, they've made this transition as smooth as possible for coaches, players, uh, administrators to move down here and, and get relocated. And training camp site was, I mean, it's just unbelievable the job they've done with the training camp site. I have the to tell you, complex. I'm surprised at your training camp site. I'm now, telling you, when we, these guys the, have done a heck of the a job. Fields, the fields are really, really nice. Yes. Did they play nice? They, did. Did they? they played nice, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and you had a lot of – I mean, this is the first day. And we day, redid them yeah. from scratch now. Yeah, Those, that's, are, those that's, are soccer fields. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you had 5,000 people there today. Who knows what the future holds? But that was that was a training camp. Yeah. That was yeah. – with, with fans screaming for Bosa and Rivers and Gates and, and all that. It was – A lot of energy. I, 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 was, I was much more impressed than I thought I would be because I had no idea if 300 would be there or 4,000. I didn't have any idea. Uh, with Anthony Lynn, the head coach of the Chargers, let's talk a couple of football things, okay? Pretty tough division. Raiders are rising. Denver thinks that their window hasn't closed. The Chiefs do nothing but win 12 every year. I don't know how it happens, <laughs> but they just always win 12 games. And you guys, you know, I was in Denver the other day, and I thought it was very interesting talking to some of their people. They said, look at the Chargers. Bosa and Ingram. Hayward really has given them a very good corner. Uh, and, you know, Rivers is Rivers. Uh, Keenan Allen. I mean, I didn't know about the Mike Williams thing at the time. And Melvin Gordon. And I'll tell you this. Your team might be pretty good. So analyze what you think you have 
in this, what I would say, difficult environment, both from the logistics and your division? Love this division. I think it's one of the toughest divisions for football, but this is where you want to be. If you want to be the best, you have to beat the best. And, yes, we do have some nice pieces to work with, but the facts are the facts. This team has won nine games in the last two years. You know, we have to get better, a lot better. And we talked about that last night in our, in our meeting. And I thought today the guys went out on the field and they're working towards that goal. But it's a day-to-day process. And we just want to go out from day-to-day and compete and be the best that we can be and do it all as a team and then we'll see what happens. Are you one of those coaches who believes in kind of stacking days and and not necessarily just saying, okay, here's what we need to beat this team or here's what we need to beat that team? I think, you know, we're very game plan specific. Things change from week to week. So uh, we'll do whatever it takes, you know, to beat our opponent. But I'm, I'm a matchup guy. You know, I believe in matchups. I believe in people. And so I believe we can put our guys in the right position, then we're going to play our best football. As somebody who had to coach against and ultimately game plan against uh, the Patriots and Bill Belichick, the one thing I've always thought about them is that with them, every game plan's a snowflake. Everything is just different there. So I guess you know, Bill Parcells once said, uh, you know, I asked him, this was late 80s, why is the NFC East teams winning the Super Bowl every year or, or at least competing for it? And he said, hey, you know, every time you play against the best teams and the best coaches, you're going to get better. Yes. And I wonder, you think you got better coaching against the Patriots, coaching against Belichick all those years? Absolutely. You know, uh, I really admire what the dynasty they've built in New England. I mean, when you look at their roster sometimes, it's not the most talented roster but they play smart, they're tough, and they don't beat themselves. Yeah. Um, what do you think it'll be like playing in a stadium with twenty-seven or 30,000 people with the crowd sort of on top of you uh, and just in a smaller venue? I'm looking you're going to be playing to at the StubHub Center. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun, exciting, real intimate with the crowd right on top of you. should be loud. And so uh, I think it's going to remind some guys of – you know, growing up, if you're from Texas, that's a high school stadium. <laughs> but some colleges, you know, of, 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 you know, just take us back to our base roots when we just loved this game and it wasn't about the money or anything else. But I'm looking forward to that. Anthony, uh, I've always, uh, every time I've come around the Chargers in the last decade or so, um, I really enjoy spending a little bit of time with Phillip Rivers. Um, I think he's one of the ultimate professionals that there is. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if he'll ever win a Super Bowl. Uh, it seems to me that probably guys are judged way too much about that. But So you've been able to work with him now for a few months. You've been able to be around him for a few months. For people who don't know Philip Rivers that well, tell me what you think of him. Well, in my time around him, you know, I heard a lot of good things about Philip. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted this job. It's all true. I mean, he's the he's the he's one of the better professionals I've ever been around. His work ethic, his approach to the game, his attitude towards his players and getting the best out of them. And and when he takes the field, I feel like a coach is on the field. And I'm very comfortable with that. And so uh, uh I, I love the guy. I love him. And uh I, I hope that we can get get him a Super Bowl ring because if anyone deserves it, he does. Finishing up with Anthony Lynn, I want to circle back and ask you one more question about coaching in the NFL right now. And that is that, so over the years, the NFL has, sometimes people have said, paid a lot of lip service to uh, kind of increasing the amount of African-American coordinators, head coaches. So now that you've been involved in this, both on the interviewing end, now on the hiring end, and you've been in the league for such a long time. If Roger Goodell came to you and asked you for your thoughts on how to improve the lot of African American coaches throughout the NFL and how to rise up, how to how to raise the the level and get more at the coordinator and head coach level, what would you say? I would say look at the criteria for which we hire coordinators and head coaches. 
you know, I had a chance at one time to go to the passing game side and not coach running backs. And I chose to stay at running backs because I felt like that position prepared me better. I had to be an expert in the run game, expert in protection. And God knows that's the hardest thing to do in football right now is protect the quarterback. And if you give up a sack, you got a 7% chance of scoring a touchdown. And, and on top of that, you, you are involved in the passing game. So I feel like that position had me more prepared. But everyone seems to think that you have to be tied in with the quarterback, the quarterback coach, receiver, uh, or even a quality control guy that works with the coordinator. They get promoted to a quarterback coach in, in coordinator positions before running back coaches, tight end coaches, offensive line coaches. And I just think we need to look at that criteria a little differently. In other words, P- owners, general managers, a little bit too in love with the passing game people. I believe so. I believe so. And I don't understand that because when you look at the top 10 stats of winning games, passing stats are not even in the top 10. If you can't run the football, if you can't protect the quarterback, you're in trouble. And any progress being made in that way, in that in that vein, or not really? You know, I think so. You know, you have a lot of people like John Wooten uh, that are standing up for equality in this league, and and they do a really good job. And and uh, I think a lot of the owners are more open minded, and and I, I believe so. But I I don't, I don't know the numbers. I can't say for sure. Right. Just finishing up. I, I wonder what it feels like for you, and as the moment hit you that, uh, you know, I'm doing what Lombardi did, I'm doing what one of my early mentors, Bill Walsh, did, I'm going to be standing on the sidelines controlling the fate of one of 32 teams in the NFL. Has it hit you, and is it a big point of pride and honor for you that you are one of 32? It is an honor. And I do want to make every single one of those coaches proud that had an impact on my life and my future. And you mentioned Lombardi. You know, I I read a lot of his books. And I I never knew him, but I really respect what he did for this game and and how he coached. And what a lot of people don't know is that he was a running back coach. And, And it took him a long time to get his shot. And people kept passing him over. And he became a coordinator one year, and then he became a head coach. And so... You know. Anthony Lynn, Vince Lombardi, <laughs> no, ladies you and dare. gentlemen. Don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare make that comparison. No. But it's interesting, though, you know, you know, when you read back on how he came up and, and look at us today, you know, we named the Super Bowl trophy after a guy that was so frustrated one time he was about to walk away from the game because he weren't moving up. And so uh, uh, that's interesting, though. Yeah. Anthony, listen, I really wish you the best. Uh, Really glad you're in this position, and I think the Chargers are going to be the beneficiary. Appreciate it, Peter. Thanks to my guests, Ty Montgomery and Anthony Lynn. If you enjoyed these training camp conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Larry Fitzgerald, and Adam Schefter. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Digital Media for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Harry's, and ZipRecruiter. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you again from the trail next week.